man, who writes this music? Oh my goodness. That's incredible that some probably young person, younger than 70, would be so inspired by God that they could pen this sort of lyric and put us in the presence of God and make us aware of this truth. We get to call him my God and my Father. What, are you kidding me? Look at us. Look at us normal, everyday people given the opportunity to relate to God Almighty, creator of all that we can imagine beyond what we can see, brings us into a relationship with him where Jesus says, I go to my God and your God. I go to my Father. And your Father... This is incredible. So, as we come to the end of 2019, um, my tendency, and I know I relate to some of you here, because some of you are like me in this way, my tendency is to reflect and assess and kind of go, well, how did I do? Uh, if I were to throw this out and say, did I grow this last year? I'm knowing at least two or three of you are going to track exactly with what I'm about to say because this is in your nature. This is who we are. We, we assess and we measure and we have expectations and then we check to see how we're doing. And maybe that came because your parents either did or didn't honor you for achieving expectations or you never felt like you quite met the expectations. But somehow it got in you, like it is in me, to measure so I would say, pure, holy, pleasing to God, how am I doing? Purging, purifying, perfecting, how's it going? Am I any closer? Did I make any motion more toward a more intimate faith relationship with God? Am I, am I any nearer to him? Am I any more Christ-like than I was a year ago? Have I grown? So these are the questions that accompany this, Tammy, because I know you think like I do in this regard. I, I just know this. Have I grown in Christ? Am I more like him in my character? Does my life reflect accurately the image of Jesus? Am I more humble, more loving, more forgiving, more given to the needs of others? Am I more selfless? Is my life characterized by holiness? Are my thoughts pure? Is my speech edifying? Am I more compassionate, kind? Am I esteeming others better than myself? Am I serving the needy, the sick, the imprisoned, the lonely, the poor, the widow, the orphan? Am I sharing my faith with others? Am I a true witness to Christ? Am I spending meaningful time with God in fellowship and prayer? Am I reading the Bible? Am I obedient to the word and spirit? Am I bearing fruit? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I extending mercy? Am I seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost? Am I investing in the work of God? Am I living by faith? Am I pleasing to God? Boy, I get to the end of that list and go, <laughs> I got a long way to go. But that's what I tend to do. I tend to look at the Christian life and I, I tend to measure, how am I doing? So I thought, yeah, let me, let me share with the people uh, in our fellowship who are also like this and, and measuring to see 
have they grown any in their faith in the past year? And so I, I looked on uh, my on phone Bible studies and plans, and I, I came across this one by Pete Briscoe. It said, are you pleasing God? I thought, yeah, this is where I'm going. Or are you trusting him? I thought, wait a minute. Are you pleasing God or trusting him? What's going on here? I thought we were just going to talk about how we please God, the things that we have to do to be pleasing to God. Why is he throwing up this tension here about trusting him? Because the the devotional goes on to talk about earning God's pleasure by trusting myself and my efforts to achieve a standard which I use to measure my godliness. That sounds like me. Or trusting in Christ, allowing him to live his life through me, enabling me to live a life that is pleasing to God. Okay, so I'm beginning to feel the tension here. And so then the, the focus of the word in this and Scripture comes from Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. For by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Okay, so how did he do that? Did he have a daily devotional? Had he read the Bible from front to back? Had he been witnessed to two or three people each week? Had he spent at least an hour in prayer on a regular basis, consistently? Was he good to his wife, his husband? Was he kind to the children? Was he teaching them? Were they having a daily devotional in their home? Were they in church on Wednesday and Sunday morning and when available Sunday nights? Were, were we doing, did Enoch do all these things and as a result, he was pleasing to God? But the very next passage in Hebrews 5 and 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. Oh, the trusting, believing faith piece here as a follower of Christ. Without, wait a minute, first of all, wouldn't you say, wait a minute, really? Without faith, it's impossible to please God? Who set that standard? Without faith? I mean, do we really believe that? That if I'm outside of faith, all the good that I may do is not resulting in God finding pleasure in me, though I'm doing a lot of good things and spending my life on what would appear to be serving others, taking care of the needy, just doing everything I know to do that would be good. Anything without faith, hmm, impossible to please God because Anyone who comes to him must believe that he is. We start with this. Believe that he is. Believe that he exists. Believe that he is God. Believe that he is who he says he is. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not earnestly seek the objective of their prayer, but earnestly seek him. Talks of Enoch just very briefly in these scriptures, and yet it lifts him up in Hebrews 11 as having pleased God, says very little about him. Enoch, son of Jared, he had Enoch, he and his spouse, at 162 years of age. 
Enoch was birthed. 800 years later, Jared died. 962 years total. Enoch birthed by way of his spouse, Methuselah, at the age of 65. And it says of him, he walked faithfully with God 300 years. He walked faithfully with God, therefore, and then he was no more because God took him away. So out of all those that it talks about in Genesis who lived all these years, the only one that it brings specific adjective attention to is Enoch, that he walked faithfully with God. And he didn't die, as all the others say. They died after 800 years. It says of him, he could be found no more because God had taken him. He pleased God. So this faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we know that faith is pretty rudimentary, pretty fundamental to having a meaningful relationship with God. In fact, most of us are familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, so none of us can boast. So grace, through faith, so fundamental to our coming into a relationship with God was some small step expression of faith that God exists and I'm going to be the recipient of salvation if I move in this direction toward him by some degree of believing. By some de- so it started with a very small mustard seed of faith that God used to begin making himself real to me and many of us here today. For by grace you're saved through faith. It's fundamental to our salvation experience being born again of the Spirit. You know, the scripture goes on in the letters of Colossians in 2.6 to say, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So what would that mean? How did you receive Christ Jesus? By faith. So as you receive Christ Jesus, so now, so now walk in him. Enoch walked faithfully with God. So we walk by faith. And we want to look at what does that practically mean in our living. In uh, Galatians, let's turn in this uh, passage, Galatians 3, 2 and 3. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, that's what we got at ORU during our first semester. 3, 2 and 3. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you before your very eyes? Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, which you might all say, did you receive salvation by what you accomplished in obedience to the law? Did you receive the Spirit who was born in us to give us salvation, to birth us spiritually as children of God? Did you Receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Rhetorical question, well, no. Or by believing what you heard. You heard truth. You heard some aspect of the gospel. You heard the Spirit of God stirring in your soul, and you responded by faith. Did you receive the Spirit by the work of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? 
that does tend to be the direction we take. We're introduced to Christ, we respond to him in faith, God begins to move, and then we bring the whole Old Testament law into the New Testament with us and all of our religious rules and regulations. You don't do this, you don't do that, you can't do this and be a believer. You must do this and you must do this. So we've essentially brought rules, regulations, commandments into our present life, whereas it's supposed to be just a walking by faith. As you received Christ Jesus by faith, now so walk in him. Okay, so where might this be going? Well, all the patriarchs, according to Hebrews 11, you look through that whole chapter, one after the other, of all these incredible normal everyday people, like you and me, who expressed faith in response to things that God showed them to do. And they were obedient. They were commended. They were all commended for their faith. All these people of God, all of our patriarchs that preceded us, were commended not for love, not for hope, but for faith. They were commended for their faith, which I would suggest to you is the mark of our love of God. Our faith in him is the mark by which we can determine, do I love him? Because our love for him is seen in our obedience to the things he shows us to do, which requires us to have faith. So faith expresses our love toward God. Our tendency is towards striving, working, doing our Christianity. So look at James chapter 4, where most of us, having been around the Bible for any length of time, know that James is going to talk to us about this place of faith and acts or deeds So in James chapter 4, and beginning in 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go do this or that. We will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business there, and make money. Okay, let me just read that one more time. Now listen. Now listen, all of you like me. Now listen, all of you who make a plan and then ask God to bless your plan. Now listen to all of us who tend to lean on our own understanding, all of us who are self-reliant, all of us who are pull-us-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of people. Make it happen. If you don't make it happen, nobody will. Today or tomorrow, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Indeed, instead you should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. So essentially, faith is the challenge that we're presented by God who says, as you receive Jesus, so walk in him, walk by faith. So as opposed to saying, 2020, I plan to be doing this, this, and this, and my goal at the end of this year is to achieve this much, we're going to do this, we're going to accomplish this, I think I'll be bringing in this amount of revenue, I'm going to invest it here. And the scripture says, 
That's arrogance. That's arrogance. The Jew, as small as you are, would determine what you are going to do in the next week, month, year. You don't even know if you'll be living tomorrow. Life is like a vapor. The call here is not to independence, self-reliance, my own plan, my own goals, my own aspirations. The challenge here is to a walk of faith. If it be your will, here's the real challenge. Not just praying, God, I'm going to do this if it be your will. If it's not your will, close the door. Anybody ever pray that way? The challenge for us as believing people is to know the will of God. And how do you do that? The Word of God, prayer, the Spirit of God. This Spirit is going to inform us of the things that God has in store for us if, if we will endeavor in relationship to know the will of God that we then might do those things that God has determined as opposed to saying, next year we're going to go to this city, I'm going to work this job, I'm going to make this amount of money. God's response to that is, that's arrogant thinking. You, follower, are not in charge. In fact, you're not the Lord of your life. In fact, you don't own your life any longer. You have been bought with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and you're no longer your own. Praise be to God. You are mine. And I will show you how to live life. You can rely on me. Walk in faith following me. And I'll open to you abundant living. Let's go that way. So fully relying on God to lead us by his spirit, informed by the scriptures, to do the will of God so that by faith, we might please God. Everything Romans 14, 14 through 23 talks about the eating and drinking of various kinds of food and talking about how while it may be within your conscience to be able to eat and drink certain things, you might be an offense to a brother and cause him to stumble by your freedom. And it goes on to say, everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if you're behaving in a way and you're not in faith in your behavior, for you, Jim, that is sin. You may be perfectly clear in your own conscience to move in this direction, but if my spirit is prompting you to be sensitive to this other person, I'm calling you to obey me and walk in faith because anything done outside of faith is sin. Kay Arthur, who many of you would be familiar with, she used to say, there is good and then there's good for nothing. The good is that which God calls us to do by faith, and we move in faith and obedience to the good that God has given us to do. The good for nothing is what we determine we're going to do in and of ourselves, asking God to bless it because it seems to be such a good thing to me, leaning on my own understanding, this is what I ought to do. And she says, from God's perspective, where without faith it's impossible to please him, then that good is good for nothing if your desire is to please God. It must be in response to faith. And while we have a general faith that covers us, 
God calls us into a relationship of faith in the moment-by-moment life experience that we would be followers, followers of the things the Spirit of God shows us to be about. So uh, I'm visiting friends uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. We were getting ready to encourage the superintendent of VMI to consider certain leaders that might provide leadership for the Center for Leadership and Ethics, a new development at the Virginia Military Institute. And so Dick Goodall, who is a business owner, and Frank Lauthan, who is a significant man in ministry in Atlanta, met with me for dinner as we were talking about the CLE, the Center for Leadership and Ethics. And we were talking about the right type of person to provide leadership. And in this conversation, Dick Goodall, great brother and friend of mine, made the statement, well, does it really make any difference so long as it's a good person? I mean, if we just get a person of character to provide leadership, I mean, and then he said, he said this, what's the difference anyway between a Christian and being a good person? So turn with me to Matthew 19, which is what I asked Dick to do, and we went to Matthew 19 and verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I mean, he was just moving right in the direction this young religious man wanted to go because he knew that when he was asked these questions, Have you done this? Have you grown here? Have you grown? He was going to be able to say, Yes, 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 yes. I think I've covered all the bases. I I should be good to go. There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandment. Well, which ones? He's inquiring like, you won't be able to find one that I haven't kept. Well, you should not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And probably quite arrogantly, the type of guy who would say, next year I'm going to go do this, we're going to move to this city, I'm going to earn this amount of money because I've got this plan. The same person said, all of these I've kept from the time that I was a young person. My parents wouldn't have had it any other way. I was in church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. I had to be. Obey the commandments? I know the Ten Commandments. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Don't ask me that question. He knew the Ten Commandments? He was prepared to respond when asked the question, and he said, all these commandments, I've kept them from the time I was a youth. What do I still lack? Because something is missing. Is there something that I'm not getting here because I've done all the commandments? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What is the challenge here, generally speaking, that Jesus has posed to this young ruler? It's a challenge of faith. Where is his dependence? Where is his reliance? Where is his comfort? Where is his security? It's in his plan. It's in his own righteousness. It's in his money. This is, where his, this is the foundation of his living, and to this point in his life, it has been secure unwavering. I'm confident I could build more barns and bring more of my wares into the barns and just eat and be happy the rest of my life. And Jesus says, there's one thing you're lacking, and I'm going to put my finger on this one thing in your life, because this is the one thing in your life where your faith clings. 
your hope, your security, your comfort is all in these possessions, your money. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. Live by faith. Give up this sense of security, which is false, and give over to me and follow me. And then you'll experience where nothing that you can do by obeying all these commandments is going to yield what you'll receive by faith in me. Dick Goodall looked at the story. He looked up for me to me at the table and he said, I'm lacking one thing. I said, we could take care of that right here at this table. Would you be willing to turn your life over to Christ? He said, yes. And Frank Lathan and I prayed with Dick Goodall at that table and helped him understand the difference between being a good person of character and a follower who is dependent on Jesus Christ. So does it make any difference if you have faith or not faith? Is that really an aspect that brings about pleasure to God? Well, let's take a look where God's been displeased where there was no faith expressed. So do you recall the story of the disciples in the storm from Matthew 8, 26? The waves were beating against the boat. The water was coming into the... Jesus is asleep in the boat. They go, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. Jesus comes up out of sleep, rebukes the storm. It comes to peace and calm. And what does he have to say to his disciples? Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? How about uh, the disciples when they were approached by the father whose son was possessed by demons? And he said, can you help me? And they could provide no assistance. And Jesus comes with Peter, John, James off of the Mount of Transfiguration. They approached Jesus. He said, I tried to get your disciples to help me, but they could do nothing. And what's Jesus' response? He says, oh, unbelieving, perverse generation. Does faith matter in the sight of God? Unbelieving, perverse generation? Disciples have seen Jesus move to feed the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes, seven loaves. They've seen Jesus on more than one occasion multiply what they have in the way of substance and feed large crowds of people. They're getting in a boat after Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the unleavened aspect of their living, their religious aspect of life, not faith-based. They're moving in the boat. They start getting anxious like, oh no, he's talking about food. We've got to bring any food. And, and Jesus looks at them in the boat and he says, oh, you of little faith, aren't you remembering what I did with this situation? And didn't you see me feed all these people under that circumstance? Where is your faith? How much longer will I be with you? How much longer do I have to, what? Put up with you. Where is your faith? Peter, this one gets me. Peter, walking on the water. Remember that one? They look out in the storm. They see a ghost. They think it's a ghost. Then they realize it's Jesus. And Peter says to him, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come and I'll come. Jesus, so cool, he just goes, come. He steps out of the boat. He's walking on the water. But what happens? He takes his attention off from Christ and starts looking at the circumstances of his life situation, and he becomes overcome by the waves and the wind. He starts perishing, Lord! And Jesus reached down, and, and he says, Peter, you are doing so well. Where was your faith? Why did you doubt? I'm going, are you kidding me? He walked halfway to you on the water. Where's the commendation? Like, 
That's incredible, Peter. Nobody's ever done that before. But no, this faith thing with God matters. Disappointment sets in when we doubt this loving God and Father. So he even goes on to say, James 1, chapter 5, James 1, verses 5 through 8, he says, you know, if any of us lack wisdom, you can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. Just ask in faith without what? Doubting, wavering. Because the one who doubts is double-minded, going back and forth, and that person cannot expect any good thing from God. So, when our faith is moving back and forth, living in the area of doubt, and we allow ourselves to stay in the doubt, we're not pleasing to God. We're not honoring the God who loves us and gave his son Jesus, who by faith we accepted, and now he calls us to walk by faith. When we pray earnestly and ask him for wisdom, believing we should be anticipating God will bring some revelation that will give us the understanding we need to take those next steps. But if we're in doubt and wavering back and forth, no good thing. I mean, these are hard words. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And if you're in doubt, wavering back and forth, you're going to receive no good thing. This is a, this is a great challenge to us. Does faith really receive any kind of commendation from Jesus? Well, let's take the centurion soldier. When the centurion soldier comes to Jesus desperate for his servant, loving and caring and compassionate toward a faithful servant, asking Christ to heal, he says, hey, you don't have to come. In fact, I couldn't impose upon you to come to my place. You're the one in authority here. I know being one in authority, I can say to this one, go and he goes, to that one, come and he comes. They obey in response to my authority. Lord, just say the word. And in that very hour, his servant is healed. And Jesus said, greater faith in all Israel I've never seen than what has come from this Gentile who has demonstrated faith in me. So, how do we respond following God in faith? Here's some quick examples. They're running out of wine. Jesus, what do we do? Why are you imposing this on me now? This is before my time. The mother of Jesus, Mary, says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Go fill those water jugs. Fill them all the way up. They do it. Take the water to the master of ceremonies. They do it. Each of those doings is the joining together of faith with action to perfect the faith. Whatever he tells you to do, do it and you will be walking in faith. It might not make sense to you. It might be out of the ordinary. It might not be rational. It's faith. It's not based on our own understanding. It's faith. This is where the life in God takes place outside of the boat. It's faith. That's where the excitement, the manifestation of God is, outside of our comfort area, following him in obedience to what... So here's another one. So fill the jars, wash in the pool. Man born blind, 40 years in, in blind. Spit, mud on the eyes, 
go wash in the pool of Siloam? He obeys. He does what he's told to do. He makes his way to the pool. He's not seeing. Nothing's happened yet. But he's obedient to what God says to do. By faith, washes and comes away seeing. How about this one? Cast your net over the side. Oh, Lord, we fished all night. There was nothing to be caught. Push out into the deep. Cast your net. Okay, Lord, because you say, we're going to do what you say as a demonstration of our faith, and the result is manifestation of God, glory of God. How about this one? Roll away the stone. Lazarus, dead, fourth days, four days in the tomb. By now his body surely smells. He says to Mary Martha, did I not say that if you would believe, have faith, you would see the glory of God? Just, just work with me here a minute. Would you like to see the glory of God in your life? Don't raise your hands, but just in your spirit, are you going, yeah, I'd like to see the glory of God. What does it take to see the glory of God? Believing and acting in faith in the things he shows you to do. Young cadet at West Point, uh, at uh, the other school, at VMI, um, he, uh, he, had asked, he had asked to see me while he was in training during the summer. He went through a horrible, horrible time, was telling me all of his woes, how difficult he didn't complete the training. He was going to have to go back the following year. Shared with him about trusting in Jesus and putting faith in Christ. One of the first challenges he experienced was he was in his room when the Spirit of God impressed upon him, brand new in faith. You need to go to that professor and ask them to forgive you for the attitudes and the way you've been speaking about them. He obeyed. That event is what demonstrated to him the reality of God when that professor responded and said, I forgive you, and it launched a relationship between the two of him. He came away going, oh my gosh, this is real. I can't believe that the glory of God. I can't believe that I just saw the glory of God in response to my obedience. Roll the stone away. Logically speaking, that's nuts. The body stinks. It's in decay. Did I not say, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? If you did not exercise faith, you would see the glory of God. So I just, I want to commend a couple here by way of faith. So Ann Palmer, back about six months ago, saw me as I was spending some time with Jason. She was so excited because she had been to FedEx and was waiting in line, saw this woman there, saw a brooch or something that she had on, and it was a picture. It asked, is that your daughter? Yes, it is my daughter. Asked a few more questions, learned that her daughter died in a violent act within the year. Conversation then ensues around that. You would want to see her in heaven. You, you, you must know Jesus I mean, Anne went from ground zero, normal people, to out-of-the-box believer in Jesus. This is an opportunity. God's just put this in front of me. I'm going to take a step of faith and just say what I feel I'm supposed to say. How many of us, on occasion, when we face that moment in time, could have taken a step of faith? And maybe it's, maybe it's to rescue that woman. Maybe it's just to say, Anne, will you follow me by faith? Because the next thing I'm going to call you to do 
is going to require more faith than this. Let's just cut your teeth on this one. So whether it's in God's interest to develop her and God's interest in rescuing or both, she responds to it. How about Dat and Elizabeth? Oh my gosh! I was here the other night when they had all these Vietnamese folks in the church. They were making cookies out there on the table. Elizabeth Shores was building Christmas trees with the kids over here. Dat was up here while Elizabeth's here. They're sharing the gospel with these people on a PowerPoint. And the place has got people that are here to learn English and become citizens. And now they've come to this Christmas gathering. And I'm watching this couple. I'm going, look at all the people these two people are reaching. This is happening right here in our building. Week after week, these folks have taken a step of faith. Elizabeth came up to me at the beginning of the evening, tears in her eyes. She says, you know, Jim, when we sent out the invitation, we never know if anybody's going to respond. I'm so excited that people have come. I'm going, Elizabeth, the glory of God in a response to your obedience and taking a step of faith. The McClintocks, anybody been hearing about uh, the McClintocks and how they've been used. There was a violent act in their neighborhood, a shooting. They decided we should have a neighborhood watch. Uh, Clay and Karen start up this neighborhood watch. They'd been prayer walking the neighborhood before this. They start up this neighborhood watch. People start joining the neighborhood watch. One thing leads to another. Karen is invited by a woman to help her get to the hospital at some ridiculous hour in the morning. Karen does that. In the car, they have an opportunity to talk about faith. Karen leads this woman to Jesus in the ensuing days. Clay's had an opportunity to pray with people in his neighborhood. What is that? They're saying, oh God, please, give us a ministry. Where do we fit into the church and what's going on there? A step of faith. And they're seeing the glory of God. Uh, I think an example is Mark and Tammy reaching out to our friends from uh, Holland University. It used to be Holland's College, but now they're smarter, and so it's now a university. Um, Holland's College now university, and inviting them, inviting them to come and, and share this, these, what an incredible step of faith. I mean, that's just so beautiful. And we're seeing the glory of God by way of their obedience. And I have to give a shout out to uh, Mrs. Park, Catherine, because coming out of her neurological procedure and being spared her life, she was alone in our living room, in the recliner, asking God, why did you spare me? Why did you keep me alive? What, what for? And God basically said to her, not only about leading this women's Bible study group that met for about eight or nine weeks, but also said, I want you to bring many other people with you to heaven. She took a step of faith. She hadn't taught a Bible study in years. In years. It was a major step of faith for her to say, yes, God, I'll do that. She approached the pastor, said, this is what I have in my heart to do. He said, yes, ordered the materials, took each step, women coming together. At least some of the result was Janice comes to faith in Christ, which would not have happened apart from being obedient, apart from hearing a word from God, and then responding in obedience by faith. These are just some examples of how we move in this faith, closing with this comment. So how do we acquire such faith as this? How do we go about receiving this? Well, James 1, 2 through 4 talks about our faith being tried like precious gold. It doesn't come easy. It will cost you. 
It, you will pray, God, please increase my faith. It will cost you. Be, because that faith comes as a result of your dying to yourself. Because God will call you to do something that will ask you this question. Do you want to stay comfortable? Do you want to be accepted? Do you want to be pleasing to other people? Do you want to have a fine reputation? Or do you want to obey me? Do you want to follow me? That's where your faith is tried and tested. And as you respond in obedience to the things God shows you to do, your faith grows by his working it in you. After all, the scripture says in 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, Jesus is the author and the finisher, perfecter of our faith. It's a work of Christ in us. He's chosen to undertake the work. We basically cooperate. We just cooperate with the work that he sets in motion. He's the author and the finisher. So one man plants, another man waters, but God's the one that brings the increase. He's bringing the increase in our lives to grow up in this faith. That's his doing. Now, the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So a quick example. I'm in the process of being considered to be chaplain at the Virginia Military Institute during a time when I'm unemployed. I have no income. I am scraping the surface to try to keep my family fed. And I'm one initially of 78 people for this job. They eventually narrow it down. I'm away on a trip for a weekend. I come home to find a sign on the back door, one of five, written in my wife's handwriting. Oh, one in five, what? What is this? I walk in the house with the sign. What's one in five? She goes, you're one in five, you're one in five. I said, I'm one in five, what? You're one in five of the remaining applicants for the job at VMI. And as soon as she said that, I could feel fear grip my heart like, Oh my God, what if I get picked? I mean, I was so physically, emotionally, mentally spent, burnt out. The first thought to my mind was, if I get called, I'm going to fail. That set of circumstances is going to ruin me. I was scared to death until the word of God by the spirit of God started coming up in my soul. He who has called you is faithful to do it. And as soon as that word came, it broke the yoke, and I had faith to believe that God would be the one to sustain and carry me. So closing with these scriptures, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith, believing people. We are distinct in the world in that we live by a faith in the living God with the Spirit of God bringing us to that place of obeying Him. And then finally, we're just have you turn to 2 Timothy 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Almighty God, you birthed us, spiritual beings. You've come to take up residence in our lives. We're informed by your scriptures. We're knowledgeable of these words. We've read these passages. We're challenged by this whole concept of following you by faith. We recognize the edge of our growing. We will be there in the moment you call us to do something that requires us to die. By your grace, O oh God, you who started a good work in us, please, O oh God, be faithful to bring it to completion in your appearing that we too might be able to say, we fought a good fight, we finished our race, we've kept the faith, we've walked with you. Be glorified in your people, O oh God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.